Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Jocelyn. How are you doing today? I am freaking fantastic. I got new Horizon content to play, so you oh. know that those are my happiest weeks. <laughs> I thought you were going to announce that you were heading off on the road to witness history in the making as the Toronto Maple Leafs win in the first round of the playoffs, and now I've cursed you. You've hopes, totally, yeah. totally jinxed it. Thank you very much. I will say uh, I was so happy the other night <laughs> to have Horizon to play because uh, I, like I think a lot of Leafs fans, were very angry in the middle of the last game. And after oh, really? the second period, I was just like, okay, this game is over. I'm so mad. They're playing like trash. What the hell is going on here? I'm done. So I didn't watch the third period of that game. I put Horizon on instead. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to play Horizon instead. I'm not watching the Leaf game. I'm so mad. <laughs> so I played Horizon for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to go check and see what the final score was. It's probably like 10 to nothing. And so I were 10 to one because I had one goal at that point. And uh, yeah, so then I look at my phone and I was like, end of the third, four, four. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on so then i watched overtime and they won and i was like this is absolute insanity so now you've jinxed it so thanks for that but i really do think that the key is i need to not watch the leafs play and play horizon instead and yeah. then they score a gajillion goals <laughs> or they, at least they score enough to to make it interesting um yeah exactly so, so they're up yeah now. that's good that's good they yeah, are, yeah we're heading back to toronto with a 3-1 series lead which is that always goes something well. that they'll still screw up <laughs> Look, as a Montreal fan, I feel like I have to bring it up. Well, and I mean, like, I am a huge diehard Leafs fan. I always have been, but I'm also a realist. And <laughs> being a Leafs fan, I understand what the ups and downs of this team and franchise are. And yeah, yeah like, <laughs> until we actually get through the first round, I'm assuming we're going to lose. <laughs> Dang, that's, that's just... That's, yeah, that's the playoffs as a Leafs fan is like, we're up by 10 goals. Well, this game isn't over. No, not yet. <laughs> oh, they'll find a way. There's still so many ways that the Leafs could mess it up. <laughs> and again, like I said, I am a fan, but I'm also very realistic. <laughs> well, you know, if they do win the next round, they'll be playing Boston. And uh, yeah, oh, that always goes so well for us. Yeah. <laughs> Although everyone's saying we've broken the Boston curse now because we came back from 4-1 down and won in overtime. So when was that? Saying that. that was yeah, a couple of years. That ago. was like, the, just just this past game, basically. So what oh. happened was it was in a it was a game seven, like in twenty. Oh crap! Now I'm not. Now I don't remember. 2012, 2013. Anyways, uh, the we were up. Leafs were up four to one, and then Boston came back and won five four in overtime in the third period. Same as Leafs just did to Tampa last or not last night, the night before. And uh, yeah, so right. anyways, now everyone's saying. We had it done to us, and we haven't won a first round since. And now we've done it to somebody else, so therefore the curse is broken. And I'm like, that makes sense. superstitious people. Like, different team, but still <laughs> yeah, applies. Totally different team, but yeah, it absolutely applies. Yeah, okay. so everyone's saying we've, bought, we've broken the Boston curse now, so it's no big deal that we would face <laughs> Bruins in the next round. Yeah, this is why oh I don't God. watch sports. There's too many things to, too many things going on. You know, too many superstitions. Yeah, yeah you got to keep track of track. <laughs> what you can throw on the ice, what you don't throw on the ice. <laughs> Hats for three goals, Ryan. That's what you throw on the ice. Well, that's the standard one, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
anyways, this is not a hockey podcast. (laughs) We wouldn't last long if it was. (laughs) No, (laughs) but it did tie into Horizon because, like I said, I skipped that amazing third period to play Burning Shores. And uh, I mean, I feel like I I don't even necessarily want to talk about Horizon stuff because nothing I'm going to say is going to be coming as a surprise to anybody. (laughs) I feel like everyone's just like, oh, it's a Horizon episode of Gamers In. Jocelyn loved it. Okay, (laughs) next week. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) You guys don't even have to listen at this point because you know I'm going to say that it's great and I love it. (laughs) Well, did you? is it great and did you love it? I mean, so far. So I haven't fully, (laughs) I haven't fully completed uh, the main quest. I have done like basically as soon as I come across a side quest in the new area, I've been doing it. Um, But I will say like I do really enjoy the side content. Like I think that it adds quite a bit to the main storyline and kind of um, really does a good job of fleshing out the Quen. So if you guys um, don't remember or maybe didn't get that far in the base game, uh, the Quen are a tribe that you meet um, kind of close to the end of the main storyline. And they are a group from far away. We don't know exactly where, but somewhere kind of across the ocean, which we did try to kind of speculate a little bit about, about where they could be from given that um, like Horizon is based on the West Coast, it's the Pacific Ocean, like there may be potentially Hawaiian, (laughs) but uh, we're not really 100% sure. And they basically have a group of their people called Diviners who wear focuses. So they were kind of the first people that Aloy comes up against who had the same sort of tech that she did and at least not a full understanding of the, you know, ancestral world, but, you know, some understanding more so a more understanding of like science and technology and and the past than any other group that Aloy has come across so far. But we didn't really get to spend very much time with them. Like they were in the very last section in... San Francisco and because they basically like crashed onto the shore. So we, we met them pretty close to the end of the game and didn't really get to hang out with them, talk to them too much other than to kind of like get rid of a couple of bad apples sort of that it was that kind of a storyline. Um, but between dealing with Regala and all her stuff and then, you know, like having to fight against the. Oh, crap. What were they called? Uh, like the the humans that went away and oh, then came back. Yeah, the shiny um the shiny ones, yeah. Shiny ones. Are, uh, why can I not remember the I Zenith? I can't remember the name. Zenith, thank you. Yes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Between fighting Regala and the Zenith, like we never really got too entrenched in the Quen culture. And so Burning Shores is basically you discover the other half of the Quen group. So uh, they were in a huge storm. Their fleet got destroyed. Some of them basically washed up at the northern part of the coast, which is the ones we met in Forbidden West. And then some went in the southern part of the coast down in L.A., which is uh, where Burning Shores is, is takes place. So I kind of really like all of the side quests and kind of the more information that you get about the Quen and how they work and you know, talking about uh, compliance, which is basically their like police force and how it works back home and, and, you know, on their fleet and, 
you know, there was a lot of really interesting um, kind of themes and dynamics and information explored through the side quests. So I've been taking my time through Burning Shores, but the side quests have been really good. Yeah. Yeah. The the introduction of the Gwen in the main game really felt like a, we, you know, sort of a foreshadowing towards uh, at the time we thought it would have been a sequel, but turns out was um, we got to explore like the other portion of, of the group in the DLC, which is really nice. It still somewhat feels like they're trying to introduce the, the larger world. That's always the, the, the conundrum of like, well, we know like there are people around the world in, in this game, but we only get to experience a small, you know, section of the world. And, and now we get to see like, okay, there are characters that exist away from these lands. It's not just this specific area. Like what is it? Southwestern United States. So mm-hmm. um, it is really cool that we get to continue to explore like the tribes that don't exist in, where we are now or where we were exploring in the first game. Um, so it was really cool to put that focus on the Quen. And I find that uh, the difference between the Quen in this game or in the expansion and uh, the, the main game is that this this grouping is more of um, the compliance is there for sure. It felt like they got the bulk of, of that group. Whereas I think the Quen um, in the main game were more of the diviners more connected Mm -hmm. to the, uh, what do they call the, well, we call them the, the Zenith, but it was like the legacy, like the, the old world. Yeah. The old world and the legacy. Yeah. Yeah. But this expansion is like more Navy, more soldiers uh, and and the compliance as well. Less diviners. I think there was like the, the last diviner had died off screen, I think uh, at the start of the expansion. So, you know, and I mean, it get this obviously gets super bonus points for me because I love post game expansions. Those are my favorite. Um, obviously, Horizon had an expansion, but it was sort of like, you know, before the final battle. Like they basically reset your save when you finish the first game, and then you can kind of go off and explore. But that final battle still technically is like finished. looming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I much, much prefer a game, especially open world when they and I know it's extra work, but I, I do appreciate that design work they put in where they're like, OK, this ending, especially because this is the middle chapter, this ending allows us to basically keep it open ended. We'll we'll do some extra design so that you can continue to explore and, and leave some stuff and we'll do some hand waving of like, oh, there's still rebels. Uh, yeah. Even though we we killed the the rebel leader, and I I just much from a storytelling perspective, I much more appreciate um, the post game expansion, especially when it's coming out a year after launch. You know, like yeah, and and I guess we haven't even said this yet, but it's big. Um, so I think the download was like eighteen gigs, and it is it's whole it's a whole separate area down south of the map. Uh, but like you say, story-wise, um, you do have to defeat like the main game in order to then get the breadcrumb quest to be sent to the Burning Shores. And I didn't realize, like, so I just kept playing through the main quest line in Burning Shores, thinking that eventually, because when you go when you go there, you fly there, right? Yeah. And so I kept thinking, like, oh, am I supposed to like fly back? I didn't realize until literally today I could just go to a fire. And fast travel back to the old world. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, okay. Because I like I thought it had um like when you first go there, it has this like uh and it's possible that once you do a couple of the main quest line things and kind of shut down the tower that shoots you out of the air, um, that maybe that's when fast travel opened up, but there's no kind of like 
dialogue box being like, hey, you can now fast travel if you want. But there's like the breadcrumb quest says, like, do you want to go to the burning shores or not yet? I have more to do. And so I was like, oh, is this like a totally separate area? And I, you know, have to finish burning shores before I can ever come back to the main area. So I spent a lot of time in the main area in Forbidden West, like playing through just stuff I hadn't finished up yet. Um, because I, I finished the game so quickly, I had a lot of bugs that I had that had to be patched out and have been patched out over the last year or so. Um, but yeah, it definitely, uh, I got stuck in quite a few places. So I had a lot of cleanup to do. But uh, yeah, it took me a while to actually get to Burning Shores. And then I didn't realize that I could just fast travel back really easily. So um, but yeah, I I will say like I... I enjoy the introduction of the new machines. I think that like every single time they put content out, I think I think I already know everything they have to show me and then they show me something different and it's so cool. Like the frog machines in Burning mm. Shores are one of the first new machines that you meet and their design is so cool and they're so difficult, but so interesting. <laughs> yeah, I... I... You look at the rest of the machines that they've designed, the difficult ones, they're based on animals that are also very aggressive, like bears yeah. and tigers and raptors and dinosaurs. Oh, my. But like in this, you have um, you know, I, even in the second one, you had like giant turtles. And in this one, you have like a giant frog and very, very aggressive uh, frog, probably the most aggressive frog you'll, you'll ever meet and <laughs> lays these like mosquito eggs like they're, they've introduced like these giant bugs and uh it's it makes for a really interesting encounter because you're having to deal with the ads that the main boss is constantly pumping out mm-hmm. which is something we haven't actually had to do yet because like we've had different machines that like lay traps for you and stuff like mm-hmm. mines and things um but we've never had something that like creates more we had the those little watcher guys who could call more in. But uh, yeah, the idea of the frog laying the eggs and then these little bugs spawning out of it is so, was so cool. And like you say, the, the ads that it spawns are really easy. Like I was able to take them down with one or two arrows, but if you ignore them, then they actually do a lot of damage. So it's like, it kind of forces you to take them into account but doesn't like the encounter design then doesn't make it too hard to deal with them. You just have to kind of get into this dance, which I really like. It's one of the biggest things that I like about horizon combat is like, you can't just kind of like brute force your way through it. Like you're going to have a bad time unless you pay attention to like the weakness of the machine and, you know, learn its patterns of attack and stuff like they, make their machines pretty hard hitting but you know like as long as you're thoughtful and tactical then there's ways to kind of strategize your way through any encounter so like i i like that you can't just like stand there and whack at it with your spear you, you know you're going to die if that's your strategy so yeah i um i really enjoyed the the new machine design in uh, burning shores yeah yeah and you can buy yourself time too i find the, the quickest thing you realize when you're coming back to the combat is that the enemies, uh, if, if you try to get away from them, they'll give you space, you know, uh, they will, especially the, the frog enemy. I felt like if I, I, if I could run away, but stay in the area or the arena that's been set up, 
they're they're not going to be overwhelming me. I think that's always been the thing for Horizon Combat is like by design, the AI doesn't really surround you in in. in and I think it's it's also not the AI. It's also the way they set up the encounters. Like they're they're very smartly designed, um, and that you can and you have a lot of tools. Especially this is post game. You probably have a lot of like higher end weapons, like a lot of different effects, some upgrades probably, and it allows you to just have more control over the battlefield. Um, and I I really found that like obviously the first encounter, um. I, I really like that they designed like this on ramp to kind of get you because they, they have a lot of players, myself included, yourself as well, who haven't played in, in a year. Yeah. Um, and this is post game. One of the disadvantages of doing post game expansion is like, obviously, the difficulty is past the main game uh, or equivalent. Yeah, it keeps going up. Like I, yeah. I noticed a lot of the machines in Burning Shores are Apex machines. So, yes. you know, like they have, uh, you know, more abilities. They have more health. Like they're, they hit harder. Um, they're like the, just the same, only more powerful as the, the ones that you saw in the main game. Like in the main game, it was like, if you stumbled across an area that had an Apex something in it, it's like, whoa, I might be in the wrong spot. Yeah. Um, but they're like in Burning Shores, more machines than not are Apex machines. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a lot of the boss fights are even tougher versions of of uh, machines you, you fought in the main game or even the new machines that they've introduced here and, and sometimes multiples. But I how did you so how did you feel about the story and, and how it starts off and that like one of the Zenith uh, it's that that classic trope of like we got them all except for one except one yeah <laughs> you know it's like it's basically how do we write this DLC and again I'm gonna give uh, I love post game DLC but it, it is that trope of like but there's one that escaped and it's not even so far I haven't gotten to the point where this is very clearly epilogue DLC so far it's just an additional adventure that happens to take place post main game I'm sure there is like a tidbit of info that. Uh, at the end will will kind of point towards a, a future game but um it very much feels like a we got them all but one and he just happened to escape literally the line is we counted the bodies and we're short one you know yeah <laughs> and uh and yeah it was a uh, i like it is what it is you got to have a big bad and the big bad in the main game were the zenith uh the far zenith i think they're called and to have them as the bad guy here makes sense. And their the that character, I think his name is Londra. He's yep. like this uh Tony Stark type, really, really evil. It's funny that it's funny that you pick that you pick Tony Stark because like I mean I went with fictional me, character. <laughs> he's okay. I was going to say to me, he's Elon Musk, like a hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I man, like, when they were that, writing this, I feel this. like they weren't even like trying to hide it at all. <laughs> no, there's very clearly like that. Uh, they, they take pieces of a lot of stuff that's, that's going on right now. And well, and I mean, that was something that I always really liked about the horizon universe is that like everything that they talked about, and obviously it's a fictional universe and, you know, made up of fictional characters, but a lot of the things that they touched on in the, you know, 2000, so like kind of from like 2010 until 2065, which is when the world ends, they, uh, when the world ends in the Horizon universe. <laughs> like, yeah. Just to be clear, I have no advanced knowledge about what's going to happen to us. 
But uh, anyways, in the Horizon universe, the world ends in 2065. So the things that they talk about happening in that span of like 50, 55 years felt very much like they could have been ripped from our own current events and our own current headlines and, you know, with a lot of the ways that our tech is going and things like that. So, I mean, it made a lot of sense to me. And it was one of the things that I always felt grounded the Horizon universe and I really enjoyed. So the fact that, you know, we have a character and I mean, like, he's not 100 percent like an Elon Musk carbon copy, right? Like he is the epitome of like a tech CEO, Mm -hmm. right? And so Elon, with everything he's doing right now, is very much like, I think, in the forefront of everyone's mind in terms of like tech CEO doing space things, right? So like, it's not, like I said, not a carbon copy of him, but at the same time, there's a lot of parallels there. And I think like they've taken a lot of different pieces, not to mention like, because he it like it would make a whole lot of sense for him to be a lot like a character from you know th- now because as we know with the Farzinas like they are the same people who left in 2065 now back a thousand years later because their tech kept them alive right so it makes a lot of sense that he would remind us of people from now because in the Horizon universe he is from our current time. So, I mean, I like the, I guess, the character design, and I think it fits the universe really well. Uh, In terms of the trope, it was kind of like, of course, one of them got away. And I don't know how else you would have kind of set this up. And it also, I think, is a good bridge between like where we left things at the end of Forbidden West and then where we're going for Horizon 3. Like you needed, you could have left it where it was, but I like this like little bit of extra, you know, to tie the two games together. I think this was a good choice because we're beginning to learn like even more about specifically what happened, you know, at the end. And I'm assuming we're going to learn more about Nemesis because there's also been hints about the AI that he's using. Um, so I feel like by the end, we're going to, to kind of fill in some of those nemesis gaps before the, the next game. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I, I think the again, not having finished the game, uh, or the post game, uh, DLC, I think the comparisons can be drawn to, um, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the, <laughs> oh, Shadow Broker probably was the one for oh, Mass Effect okay, 2. Yeah, yeah, for Mass Effect. You know, it was post game expansion dealt with a story that was very much rooted in Mass Effect 2 and the idea of like building a strong team to take on the collectors or or deal with the remnants of the collectors, but like ended with a very clear shits, the Reapers are coming, you know, and there they are, you know, we can see them on the deep space radar. We got to get ready type type lines. This is why I don't write for Bioware. I mean, uh, (laughs) they they wrote a lot better than I just did, but you get paraphrasing. Um, So I imagine that's where we're headed. And I I think based on the reviews that we've seen from from outlets, like that's kind of what folks are saying is is very much very clearly leads into the third game along the lines of the ending of the of the of the main game here. But uh, I do appreciate their focus on the Quen. And I always I always liked the interaction between the Quen and uh, and the legacy, like the, the Farzenith, and they didn't take the same approach that they did 
with the main game, whereas the Quen interacting with the Farzenith was like, oh man, they're they're the legacy, so whatever they are, whether they're asshats or not, they're still cool with us. Where I think in this one, there there's there's a little bit more going on as to what uh, why these why the Quen are just so focused on uh, on Londra, and uh, you get a sense that there's a bit of like like a like a cult following a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. um, or or maybe some brainwashing, but uh, you know, they're the, the Farzina are using this technology against against our against our characters and um but yeah we still have a we still have a lot we still have a lot going in we have a lot of weapons we have a lot of we have the abilities to to take on uh the farzenith and because it's just one farzenith like it's just Londra it's not as um you don't feel as in danger as you do in the main game no, you're you're no. facing off as against i think three or four at any given time so like you're always trying to stay one step ahead in the main game whereas in this one like you're actively going after Londra like you're you're not worried about well yeah you're basically the the point of burning shores is essentially to find him and make sure he doesn't escape because that's the yeah. whole thing is he's trying to get off the planet which is you know again very consistent with what far far zenith were, were doing originally and then you know like it's it's just again i feel like it's very consistent like the motivation of the characters is there and it makes a lot of sense for all the choices that they're making like i don't love the the tropey one got away oh he's so slippery <laughs> you it know it's his character though like it i think they character. did a- yeah absolutely like he he very much like and they kind of lay that out when you go into like his his old previous headquarters and stuff like that is that like this man has loyalty to no one but himself like period he left his wife behind <laughs> like banging on the spaceship door from the sounds of it so yeah i i think that um everything story-wise like it's well written it makes a lot of sense um and it it doesn't really like come out of nowhere and and speaking of all of that i feel like that's kind of a good segue into and because you mentioned reviews as well like i don't really think we can necessarily talk about this uh dlc expansion without talking about the review bombing controversy and uh, so if you guys aren't aware, uh, basically Aloy ends up in a romance with the character that we meet in Burning Shores. Um, and it's kind of like, I mean, to me, this is where the writing kind of fell a little bit flat for me because like, and I and I get it because Aloy, you know, was raised outside of a tribe. It was just her and Rost. Like then she kind of like, was immediately thrown from her exile into being the only one that could save the world. Like in terms of a social education, she's had zero, but at the same time, I'm like, Oh my God, this is like the tropiest first teenage romance writing that I've ever seen. Like, Oh, I made her feel bad. And now I feel bad. Why is this happening? I'm like, oh my God, who wrote this drivel? Yeah. Like, it's I so feel bad. like that one. <laughs> look, I agree. With, I, I was trying to think, like, where is she going with this? But yeah, no, that specific moment of like, I told her, I didn't tell her. There's a couple of moments, I think, uh, where, oh, I didn't tell her the truth, but now I'm going to tell her the truth. And now I told her the truth. And now she's upset. And I got to somehow make this right. Yeah, there were so many just like lines that you've heard a billion times in like trashy Twilight fanfic. <laughs> Gosh, okay. I didn't think it was that. Here's the thing. This is a smaller post-game expansion. I feel like if they had more time, they probably could have like 
developed it a little bit more, but I almost it was almost like they had to do the tropey thing in order to get to get these characters to work together there. It feels like there's if this were in a main game, there would have been more missions between them. And you do you do experience their, you know, relationship sort of progress throughout the expansion because she meets uh, the other character. What's the other character name again? I always forget. Sika. Sika? No. Sika. Sika. Yeah. E-Y-K-A. Sika. So yeah, you you meet Sika in at the very beginning of the game and uh, they have to develop, they develop that relationship throughout the expansion, which is not, you know, it's a big expansion, but there's like so far. But the I main think, quest is it like, there's a, there's a lot of like, when, when I say it's a big expansion, like there's a lot of new collectibles, a lot of new delves and ruins to explore. There's tons of new machines to fight. There's like side quests and, you know, like it's the main store or the, the large size of the expansion isn't just one main quest line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and, and that's, you know, not knocking it or anything else. Like I do think, again, like I said, I think everything that happens is very consistent with the wider horizon universe. And this is why I don't understand the criticism of the relationship between Aloy and Sika because Aloy is a clone of a lesbian woman. Like it makes a hundred percent sense that she would fall for a female character at some point. And I think that like, expectations because i know we've talked about this a lot as well and in the first game in particular they were very clear that like romance was not a thing like aloy is saving the world she doesn't have time for that so like and i think that they kind of started to explore it a little bit more in forbidden west there was a you know a relationship that we got to see on screen not with aloy but with um zoe and varl which again, was like a little bit more, I guess, romantic tones and and themes versus the first game. And so now they're at the point where they're starting to tell Aloy's story. And I think that what a lot of people wanted, like myself included, was the ability to basically take all of these characters that Aloy has met over her adventures and, you know, go the Mass Effect route of getting to romance somebody in your like friend group basically and it's it was hard even for me to remember that like the difference between something like a mass effect and horizon is that in mass effect shepherd is like my avatar right like i can make shepherd whoever whatever i want including like personality traits the whole like vanguard or not vanguard um renegade and uh paragon like personality spectrum that you get with Shepard, the ability to romance all of these different characters on your ship. Like it's very open-ended by design versus the horizon universe where like Aloy's her own character. You're not like my Aloy isn't going to be different than Ryan's Aloy. You know, like you are experiencing Aloy's story. You're not creating Aloy's story. And so like, it kind of makes sense that they decided to go this route as much as my heart burns for Aaron, <laughs> I just love that character so much. I actually found him. He's down in Vegas. And I went to talk to him and he's got like two lines of dialogue. And that's it. I'm like, no. <laughs> of course he's in Vegas. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's where all the Osirim are in the Forbidden West, right? That's true. So yeah, he kind of like went back to like his group and was like, okay, so this is coming. Who do we have to talk to? Who do we know? Like he's very much playing like the diplomat and like 
Aloy's envoy to the Osram. So it makes sense he'd be in Vegas because that's their big like city center in Forbidden West. But uh, yeah, I was just like, man, oh, man. Uh, like I am sad that I, Jocelyn, don't get to romance Aaron, but it makes sense that Aloy views him as a brotherly figure, you know? Like, yeah. So I think like fans were potentially wanting a Mass Effect type uh romantic um not storyline, but like I guess game mechanic. And that's just not what Horizon is. So I think that like it fits with Aloy's character. It fits with Aloy's backstory. Like, it makes perfect sense. Whether you like Sika or not, like, Aloy being gay makes so much sense. Like, Elizabeth was. So, like, she's a clone. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really I really like Sika. Here's the thing. I think that a lot of the other characters in Horizon, we talked about this a bit pre-show, uh, but, like, I, I like... I, I like Sika more than all the other characters that we've been introduced to as, as companion characters that have, you know, adventured with us. I kind of find that a lot of the horizon characters, I'm going to be careful here that we've adventured (laughs) with are, can be kind of annoying in large doses. But when you have horizon characters that, that, uh, that adventure with you, they don't, they're not, they're not around very much. They have like one or two missions with you. And then almost like loyalty missions. Yeah, and and yeah. small doses, they're they are good best buds. But I found this whole expansion focused on you know Aloy uh, working with Sika. She is she's very similar to Aloy that she is a soldier. She's not like constantly you know in awe of discovering the <laughs> world, um, which you know. We we talked a bit about her being Quen. Like she she understands a lot of like the old world and 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 the legacy. Yeah, and like all that. she knows again. Like she knows the old world exists. Like they have a lot of tech. They have diviners who interpret the legacy mm-hmm. and basically tell it to everybody else. So like all of these concepts are not alien to her at all. She's new to a focus, but she's not new to the idea of the old world. She knows all these characters and all these people. She knows the events, at least to the level of understanding that Quen have versus the other groups that we've seen, like the Karja, the Osirim, the Tanakh. Like none of them have any idea about what happened to the world before, right? So, like, I mean, the Tanakh built their whole entire, like, society around the wings of the Ten, which was, like, because they found their, like, they have their city in a museum. Mm -hmm. And so they would just, like, hear the stories of this, like, one one aerial battle, and they base (laughs) their entire society around it. Like, the amount of knowledge that exists in the world as we know it in Zero Dawn and Forbidden West, like Aloy is the only one that knows anything about anything until we meet the Quen. So yeah, I think that like, it makes sense that Sika would be like, if you find it annoying when other people discover like the history then, and like all of the tech that's kind of like broken, but still hidden around the world that's revealed by the focus. Like if that's not your jam, then yeah, a lot of them are going to be really annoying and you're going to like the Quen a lot more. It's it's a mild annoyance. Like again, (laughs) I know it's a large part of the game is a lot of the, and I find it interesting. Especially in Forbidden West because Forbidden West is when Aloy starts handing out focuses like candy. (laughs) Yeah, but there's always that 
that scene of like, oh, and, and we get it again in this expansion because there's yeah. a, a side quest <laughs> where you run into Gildan, who's from the first game. And he is like, his personality is very bubbly. He's very like, I'm an adventurer, but he's constantly tripping over his own feet and getting yeah. getting into trouble, which again is is great. Uh, but uh, he shows up again in this game and you give him a focus at the end of the sequence and he, and it's it's that same sequence again where it's like, he oh, does gosh. this stumble around thing where like he looks up at something and it's like flickering and he's like, Whoa, and then like yeah. stumble, stumble over there too. Stumble, stumble, stumble. Oh, there. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's super tropey, but it of fits. Tropes, yeah. <laughs> it fits with the character. It fits with the world. And I'm, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I just say I can see it. Like, I feel like we've said the word trope a hundred times in this burning shores. Review. Well, there's just the two, like there's a lot going on here. Uh, the two big ones for me are like the evil guy from the first game slipping away. And now he's the bad guy in this. And, and, and the, the 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 discovery, but honestly, I I really enjoyed all of the Quen stuff because the Quen that we get in this game are, you know, they're not as like they're not about they understand the legacy, but it's not their job to kind of like worship it. They just kind of have to support the diviners yeah. who aren't there, you know. And and the diviners, if you recall from the main game, uh, listeners, is that like they were. They were the only ones that had focus. They were only ones connected to the legacy. They like it was they were building this like Bible around it. And that was one of the side characters uh, that we got in the main game. And I I can't remember her name, but she also very much had that. A lot of her missions were Aloy kind of revealing the truth to her. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's just this is a very much a. Sika is just a very, she's much more, she's more interesting and she's much more like mm-hmm. Aloy. Like she kind of wraps her head around the world a lot faster. Um, and they speed that stuff up. You know, this is, a, this is yeah. an expansion. They don't, they don't dwell on it. Cause if they did, they, they'd have to charge more than $27 Canadian for it. You know, cause it'd be, <laughs> yeah. it'd be a sequel. This is an expansion. This is a piece of DLC. This stuff moves faster. And I, and I kind of appreciate it for that. Cause like, honestly, I'd prefer if my, if I haven't sounded like it, I prefer them to skip past the the moment where she's like, look at that. It glows. And if I do this thing, I can hear it. <laughs> there is one moment where I think like she's yelling and she's yelling into the mic and Aloy's like, no, no, I connected yeah, our focuses. She's not, yeah, she's not used to uh, to using a focus for communication. <laughs> yeah, but she she bounces right past it. She's like, oh, OK. And then it's yeah. not dwelled on and it's. She's just she's a cool character. I hope she sticks around. Uh, I hope she continues. She's in the third game and she, you know, you get the dialogue of like, here's where my base is, because I know Gildan. I think I I think we sent him there. That was pretty funny. Basically, like passing Gildan off to to Gaia. Off to Gaia. <laughs> man, if we talk about AI abuse, that, that right there, yeah. that's that's going to be the villain in the third game is that you you put uh, Gildan with Gaia. And now Gaia's the bad guy. Like, you drove you? Gaia insane. Yeah. <laughs> I joke. Gildan's all Gaia right. Sides of Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I don't. I hope that doesn't happen. But like, Gildan's all right. I'm sure Gaia can put a subroutine on it or something. But um, yeah, it's uh, it is so far. It's a really good uh expansion, and it is PlayStation Five exclusive. I don't know if you noticed like anything that kind of stood out to you. Like, I'm not a technical person. Like, I don't. I'm sure there's some stuff in. Sure, it's much easier to focus on one skew of hardware, but like nothing to me sort of stood out as like, oh, there's no way they would have been able to 
Maybe except for the towers that shoot you. I thought that was like a really interesting way of like keeping you from flying all over. They they mm-hmm. have these like homing missiles that uh, story lock you to to have to walk around instead of fly. Like much better solution than anything Blizzard's ever ever implemented yeah. for flying. <laughs> you can't fly here because we said so. <laughs> yeah, to put a tower up and have it shoot you down. Like yeah, how many like- famous <laughs> evil towers are out there that you could have pulled inspiration from? Yeah, well, I yeah. guess there's one. There's Sauron and then the Ubisoft Towers, I guess. Those are the two evil towers I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> but the point is, evil towers exist. Use them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the, I'm not, yeah, it works. So, I, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I think, like, obviously, like, if you enjoyed Forbidden West, like, you've already picked this up. You're already playing it. And, I mean, nothing sort of jumps out at, at you as ultimately surprising, like, similar to the jump from, for you know, Horizon to Forbidden West, like it feels very much like a natural continuation of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like one new weapon. I don't know. Did you get the new weapon? I think you get about yes, halfway through. Yeah. So you do get a, a far Zenith weapon, which I don't think you got in the main game, which was a nice touch. Nope. So, um, but other than that, it's, it's, it's more of the same. Yeah, exactly. Like they expand the talent trees. So there's some more abilities and stuff you can unlock. They, uh, like you say, give the new Far Zenith weapon to Aloy to use. Um, I think overall, like like you said, it's a great natural extension to Forbidden West. And though I haven't finished the main storyline yet, I'm assuming from stuff I have seen online that there's going to be a fairly decent like um, kind of arc into the third game and uh the one thing i will say and like we're pretty much wrapping up here but like i understand the actor has passed away but um i was kind of sad that silence didn't kind of come along to burning shores with you and i'm hoping that that's not like indicative of what they're going to do in the third game because silence to me is the most interesting character in the franchise I think that, like, not only did Lance Reddick do an amazing job, like, bringing the character to life, but I thought he was the best written out of everybody, and I loved how, like, his motivation as a character never changes through, you know, Zero Dawn, Forbidden West, into this DLC, is, like, he, as a character, is driven by a thirst for knowledge, and sometimes that means he's Aloy's mentor, sometimes Aloy's friend, sometimes enemy, sometimes full-on antagonist. Like, he just wants to know the most he can about the universe, and he makes decisions based on that. And, you know, like, so, again, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad, but he is the most interesting character, I think, in the entire franchise. And, you know, like, they... Obviously, his his death was very sudden and unexpected. So, like, I'm sure that they had expected the Silence character to be in the third game. And I don't know what the future is going to hold for that now. But I really hope they find a way to, like, carry him forward. Because, um, yeah, like I said, I think he's really interesting. And they had him... Like, he had the opportunity to leave at the end of Forbidden West, at the end of the main storyline... And he didn't. He stuck around. And then so that to me says that they had plans for him. And I just hope we get to see that through, um, even though very unfortunately, Lance Reddick did pass away this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it was nice to see that they they have the character in the DLC, because honestly, like they could have based on the character, uh, they they could have had the character just kind of like 
squirrel away in a corner and, and learn because yeah. that's why he he's stayed. done that before right yeah. like <laughs> yeah but it's nice you know? that they have him introduce you he's the last character you speak to before the cutscene of you flying to yeah to burning shores and i think it was a really it was a really nice touch because i think like i agree with you silence is probably the best character that that is in the game that he's very well written and he's he's dynamic but he's also like very focused you know like mm-hmm. he's constantly not even switching sides because he's always on his own side, right? He's always but, on his own side, yeah. <laughs> or he's always on the side of information, I yeah. would say. But, but you did feel, though, at the end of 2, that it, there was very much like maybe a change of his character, a little bit of like, maybe I'll stick around also because you guys are pretty cool. But he still gets yeah. that line of like, <laughs> you know, uh, she asks, why are you still here? It's like, well, I want to see if you're capable of doing the impossible again. It's like, all right, buddy. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's yeah. like we know why you're really here. You like us. Give me a hug. Let's, let, <laughs> yeah. let's just. I'll be back. Don't worry. We'll have tea. Like he's taking yeah. over uh, the old uh, uh, Farzineth lady's house, and yeah. he says, like, "I haven't touched her art." And I'm like, "Oh, there's a lot you can learn down there." I think I spent like two hours down there just listening <laughs> to people talk, but uh, lots to explore. So maybe that's what he's doing. He's just he's just listening to the paintings. Um. But yeah, I I really do hope that they keep uh they they find a way to incorporate silence into the third one that's you know both uh you know respectful to Lance Reddick but also like respectful to the the franchise as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I I have faith that they'll find a way to to really uh make that work. So Yeah, I hope so. Well, overall, uh, Burning Shores DLC, I think it's a big thumbs up. I think it's too bad that it's exclusive to the PS5, given that you could play Forbidden West on the PS4. So I think that that kind of sucks. And I hope that at some point they're able to like port it over somehow. Like again, like Ryan said, like I don't know what the what the reasoning was for making it exclusive to PS5. And obviously PS5 has been out for a while now. So I can understand them only wanting to support one console, but I do hope that they make this DLC since it's not like in the uh, Frozen Wilds expansion, which was for Zero Dawn. You didn't have to play that to understand like Zero Dawn story heading into Forbidden West, right? Like it was like Ryan said, it was kind of like a side area that you could explore as at any point in time, like it was a little bit of a higher level area, but you could definitely go into the Banuk like mountains at any point in time once you kind of got there. And so it didn't really impact the main storyline at all versus Burning Shores, which very much is the bridge between Forbidden West and whatever the third game is going to be called. So I hope that they make the DLC available on all platforms where you can actually play Forbidden West because I think otherwise it's a huge, like, I don't even want to say missed opportunity. Like, I think it's a big mistake. Um, I don't think that you should only be able to play part of a story of a game. Like, if you're going to make it available, if the base game is available on the platform, all story DLC should be as well, in my opinion. So um, hopefully we'll see that coming from um, Sony in the near future. Fingers crossed. Um, But yeah, right now, exclusive to PlayStation. Excuse me, PlayStation 5. But yeah, I think overall it gets a thumbs up for me. If you're playing Forbidden West on PlayStation 5, you should definitely pick this up. And it wasn't even that expensive. Um, Like Ryan said, it was $27 Canadian. So I'm sure that's probably somewhere in and around $20 American. So uh, I really can't recommend it enough. If you like Horizon, it's more Horizon and it is really well done. So 
uh, go and check it out. Again, that is Horizon Forbidden West, the Burning Shores expansion. If you like the content that we produce here at The Gamers Inn, head on over to Patreon to support us there. You can find us at patreon.com slash The Gamers Inn, just like Deadly Pants did. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You are our April patron. Um, that's going to bring us to the news this week. And we've got a little bit more Horizon news, although I wouldn't even necessarily call this news, but <laughs> <laughs> they basically, uh, Guerrilla Games has teased Aloy's next adventure in a studio statement tied to, uh, some kind of internal movement among their executive. And, uh, they basically say like they remain committed to their, uh, Aloy's next adventure and their online, a online project of some kind. So, mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that doesn't surprise anyone. That's why we kept talking about the third game. We've been talking about the third game since we finished Forbidden West because, like, it is very obviously setting up a giant, like, encounter-type storyline um, with this uh, kind of AI called Nemesis. So, I mean, they're very obviously setting up for a third game. Um, I think um, Zero Dawn was, like, a maybe like they had that like post credit scene with silence but it was like it was just him walking away <laughs> like well like it, it was him out in the desert right with the um with what's it called the big evil from the first game <laughs> that he ends up waking up again a uh, hades hades um, yeah, so it was him with hades in the desert was uh was the post credit scene in zero dawn which like Yes is leading, but I don't think that they knew if Horizon was actually going to be successful or not. So like the main storyline of Horizon Zero Dawn kind of got tied up with a bow and could have ended there versus Forbidden West, which is like very clearly cliffhangery into, you know, like the final installment of the Horizon series. So I think that uh, this comes as a surprise to no one, but they're like officially like teasing Aloy's next adventure, like the third Horizon game. Yeah, I think the biggest news to me here, and again, I I shouldn't say biggest, but the coolest <laughs> confirmation is that the uh, the online game, which has seen some like concept art leak and stuff, which is it just I think we already knew it was very different from whatever a Horizon three would be, but it it is nice to see them talk about them as two separate games i'm happy to yeah. play both i just i don't oh, yeah need... i will play either thing but i yeah like i love zero dawn and forbidden west as you guys clearly know and so i don't want some weird online multiplayer like i don't know hybrid thing with a single player experience like i don't want them to try that other games have tried it it never works very well if you're going to do something, some multiplayer, something online, great, do that. But keep my single player open world, huge ex horizon experience separate. And it sounds like, like you say, that they've confirmed that those are two separate projects. Sorry. Yeah, I'm glad that that's the case. <laughs> I was like, oh, did I lose you? What's no, 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 no. <laughs> um, well, you know, you might lose me here, but it sounds like uh, the Super <laughs> Mario Brothers movie uh, is going to be getting close to a billion dollars, Jocelyn. That is so many. <laughs> That's a lot of dollars. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think before its release, it was probably easy to say, oh, of course, it's going to make a bunch of money. But like a billion dollar movie, I, I think is it's not as rare as it used to be, but it's still rare enough that I think it's it's worth noting, like a, a video game movie 
in the theaters, not like post DVD and merch launch, could be getting uh, could have a billion dollar box office. That's a pretty big deal for a video game movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Not even Sonic could do that. So, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I know. I mean, uh. we all know Sonic. It, it is what it is. But like, this is Mario combined with Illumination, and they know how to make movies that sell really well and yeah uh, mass appeal (laughs) but but that being said i have a feeling like you know i didn't think evil dead rise was going to knock it off the the top spot but i think guardians 3 will likely will likely do that and that's in a couple weeks so yeah that kind of it's uh next friday actually may 5th yeah (laughs) may 5th is next friday (laughs) oh yeah it's someone was talking um someone was saying like yeah may is next week and i was like of course it is like, how does yeah. that surprise anybody that May is next week? Sorry, folks at home who are living, you know, their best lives in April. Next week is May. So, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, you're right that Guardians 3 does come out next Friday. I don't think that there's anything that's going to knock Super Mario out this weekend. But uh, yeah, I agree. Guardians is probably going to do it next weekend. Not that it's really high on my list of things to watch, but I know a lot of people really love that franchise. And this is officially they've said this is the end of the guardians franchise right like they're not doing any more guardians movies after this so i expect this to be a pretty big money maker yeah i think the idea here is that this is the the last um movie that will feature the current current run of of guardians and i mean mm. what like it's kind of weird in the news them and i get why they're saying it as if it like making it seem final because like a lot of these actors have been doing these roles for over a decade and you do have a lot of that and some would say some characters like thor should have probably stopped while they were ahead as well but uh <laughs> uh you know it's um it makes sense it's very fitting like they're at a point where like let's let's hang up the blasters and this way when when we do return because of course no matter what like is tony stark and uh captain america gonna come back yes when who knows but the answer is definitely they will be back because that's how comics work oh (laughs) i was like but tony is dead spoiler alert and cap is 80 (laughs) of course (laughs) okay but it's comics right like it it, like this is the thing like they can and and again they'll wait long enough uh, uh they'll wait they'll wait as long as they feel is necessary i'm not saying we're gonna get an iron man four five and six but like we'll get a I'm sure there'll be a cameo. You know, they'll bring him back. Maybe it'll be AI Tony Stark and old man Steve Rogers, which are real characters. <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, there's lots of opportunities to do that. So, like, is this the last we've seen as as Chris Pratt as uh, Star-Lord? Likely not. Even if he does die. Like, and I don't know if he does die. I don't know anything about it. But the way all these <laughs> actors are talking is like, yep, without saying it clearly, my character dies. You know, it's very... Yeah. <laughs> Like, I think but Gamora like we've even seen with Gamora. Yeah, like yeah. That, death means nothing in Marvel. I, I'm on board with that. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Zoe, uh, or uh, is it Zoe Zeldana? She's out there saying like, nope, this is it. I'm done now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I was done after Avengers, and yet here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it again, it's from a, from a, um, just from a, a press conference thing it feels like a lot of these actors are say like they're allowed to say no we're done but shrug on why that might be outside of we've been doing this for a long time so yeah yeah exactly 
Uh, we have a couple of lawsuits to update you guys on. So you may remember over the past couple of years, we've been talking about Epic versus Apple. Um, Epic did lose and now they've lost the appeal as well. Um, and so there are some caveats within the, and I feel like I just need to like at the beginning of all of these like legal talks, we need to say, we're not lawyers. We don't really understand this shit. There's probably other shows out there that cover just this. So uh, maybe go and take a look for those. But uh, at a very high level, um, I guess there are some like clauses within the court decision that do say, because one of the big things that a lot of people were pissed off at Apple about was that they basically said for some apps, but not all apps, you were not allowed to have your own like storefront, like everything kind of had to funnel through the Apple ecosystem. And so you couldn't have, which is one of the things that Epic did that kind of kicked off this whole thing. You couldn't have like advertisements or links or buttons within your apps on the app store that sent you to an external site to do your purchases. And that doesn't apply to all apps because like if I go to Amazon, there's no like Apple tax on Amazon. They have their own marketplace, right? So um, that was kind of part of the argument was, you know, that um, there are rules, but they only apply to some vendors and that's not equitable. And then, you know, so one of the clauses in this lawsuit in these court decisions was that Apple is going to have to allow that to, you know, like allow people to or allow apps to send people to different um like storefronts so they don't necessarily have to exist within the Apple ecosystem. But that's pretty much it. Other than that, the, I guess, judges, because it was a, an original case and then an appeal, um, the judges have decided that no, like other than that, Epic, screw off, you lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, I, um, I'm i an Apple user. Uh, I, I use Apple devices, but I'll say this about about Apple, like in this, in the, in this lawsuit, and, and even though they won, um, and they were, but they were still told to do. They were still said, "Hey, you know, you still have to allow developers to implement, like as you said, the outside pointing to outside payments." They are still like, not only are they dragging their feet on that, but they're coming up yeah. with excuses to get further extensions. And I just, we all know Apple as a company is capable of making the Apple way of uh, what they're being asked to introduce. Like they're capable of doing it, right? Um, and we and they're being given lots of time to do it in a way that isn't just like, hey, click this and go to some unknown website. Like we all know Apple isn't going to do that. They're going to do it in their own Apple way that that uh, they as they say, protects the consumer or at least makes it feel like you're still within the Apple ecosystem, which which I think is fine because that's why we we use those devices or, or folks use those devices. But it's just it, it is annoying to see them win. Like, even though they win, they're still like, but on that thing we've been told yeah, to do. Yeah, they have yeah. one small thing to do and they're dragging their feet. Yeah. Still. And, and I think yeah. that that's, yeah, that's kind of, you know, on the courts for not setting deadlines. Right. But yeah. Or allowing Apple, <laughs> a trillion dollar company to be like, whoa, dog ate her homework, guys. We're looking the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's uh, like a higher appeal to be had here or if this is kind of the end of the road but uh it feels a little bit end of the road like you've had two judges now decide in two different courts uh against you so we'll have to see what epic does uh going forward but uh for now it seems that um apple is the is the victor here 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, finally, this is this was uh, pretty big news, at least on my feed this week, because of all the uh, Blizzard people in and around my my online space. But um, the CMA, which is the Competition and Markets Authority in the UK, is blocking Xbox's Activision Blizzard acquisition. And so, like, again, this comes down to, I think, my like lack of understanding because there are I guess it's because they're like a multinational corporation, right? Acquiring a multinational corporation, which is why all of these different regulatory bodies in all of these different countries are involved. But there are quite a few countries. I feel like somewhere around, I think I saw a list that was about 10 countries long who have already approved the the deal. The U.S., um, is it the FTC, the, the Trade Commission? Yeah, yeah. Is the one reviewing it on the state side? Yeah. So... They have not come out with a decision yet. The EU, which the UK is no longer a part of, the EU was looking as if they were going to approve the deal, but now the UK has blocked it. And so what I don't necessarily understand is like, let's say the EU and the US approve approve the acquisition. I don't understand how like one country could be a holdout and like block a whole deal. Do you know what I mean? Like if... Uh, yeah, I, it just seems yeah. odd to me that like if Canada was like, uh, no, well, well, I'd be let's like, face come it. on, Canada. If Canada said no, and the whole world would be just like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just, just, uh, we'll exclude <laughs> well, them. See, this is this is the thing is like I I don't understand um the roles that everyone plays here well enough, and I don't understand the laws in all these different countries to actually understand what this necessarily means. Now, both um, Activision Blizzard and Microsoft have come out and basically said, you don't understand what you're talking about, which is why we think that you've made the decision that you've made. Because kind of interestingly, after all the conversations that we had about Call of Duty, they came down on the side of Microsoft basically would be shooting themselves in the foot if they didn't allow COD to be on all platforms. And yet they didn't make that same decision about cloud gaming. So cloud gaming was what the CMA ended up saying was their reason for blocking this uh, acquisition, which is kind of interesting. They're basically saying that like going forward, they think cloud gaming is going to be the future of gaming and that Microsoft being the owners of Windows already have a leg up in that arena of like taking console stuff and making it available without having to purchase a console. So they were saying that, you know, because of, and they actually listed Call of Duty, which they had already said previously in their statement that, you know, uh, Microsoft not making Call of Duty available to everyone would be a huge mistake. So they didn't think that that was what Microsoft was going to do. So it was a non-issue. But then at the same time, Call of Duty was a title talked about in their cloud gaming decision. Um, But they basically said Call of Duty, Overwatch and World of Warcraft were their three Activision Blizzard titles that they were like, we don't want to see those exclusive because we think that um, Activision Blizzard, if left to their own devices, would make those titles available on multiple platforms. I'm like, that to me sounds so fucking out of touch. So out of touch. Because I'm like, World of Warcraft is like 20 fucking years old. <laughs> like, and it's a PC game. If they were going to bring it to other platforms, they would have done it already. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. Overwatch is multi-platform. 
so is Call of Duty. Like, <laughs> you're not making any sense here with the games that you've chosen because you've already said as part of your previous argument that Call of Duty will remain multi-platform because it's the best business decision for Microsoft. Therefore, it's the best decision for the for the consumer or at least it won't harm the consumer because it's good for um, Xbox business. So I'm like, wouldn't the same logic that applies to Call of Duty apply to Overwatch? Although, again, as far as I can tell, Overwatch 2, like, I don't know anyone playing Overwatch 2. I think it's like, I don't like I haven't paid that close of attention to like Blizzard earning calls. So I don't necessarily want to speak too much out of turn here. But I will say from like anecdotal experience like what i've seen people playing and talking about even people who i know were like super into original overwatch didn't come back for overwatch 2 like i think it's been kind of a flop like yeah <laughs> so it's interesting that they're talking about like call of duty overwatch which hasn't been performing necessarily as well as i would think blizzard would have hoped and then uh, 20 year old world of warcraft like they they picked such odd and out of touch titles to be like concerned about the consumer experience and not being able to necessarily act or access them through the cloud. And then I'm like, when they talk about Activision Blizzard bringing like Overwatch and, and um, World of Warcraft to other platforms, I'm like, they have Battle.net, like they have their own launcher. They're not going to like leave that ecosystem. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. It just seems crazy to me. And again, sounds kind of out of touch. I understand the larger argument about Microsoft and cloud gaming and how close they are. Like they have such a leg up because they are Microsoft and because they do own the Windows platform. I understand how they have a leg up into cloud gaming much more so than like the Nintendos and the Sonys of the world. I get that. That makes sense to me. But I don't see how that has anything to do with Activision Blizzard and that acquisition. Like to me, they're two totally separate issues. Yeah, but the CMA doesn't see this, doesn't see it that way. No, and I mean, like the sticking point being cloud gaming. I've seen a lot of arguments. A couple arguments that I've seen are um, they're trying to protect protect a part of the industry that just doesn't exist yet. Yeah, which is good to be forward thinking. That's yeah, good. Like to try to to try to predict what's going to happen. And like the whole point that these like entities exist in all these different countries is to try to make sure that there is competition in the market. Like they do, in theory, play an important role. And I think that being forward thinking and trying to predict what the market is going to do is much better than looking at what's happening right now. Um, like that's very short-sighted. And I think if they didn't talk about the future of cloud gaming, we would be calling them short-sighted. So like, I don't necessarily think they're wrong because of that because they're taking cloud gaming and trying to anticipate the future of the market, like that's kind of what they're there for. So I don't fault them for that. I think the leaps that they're making are just like, they just don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like they seem to contradict themselves within the same statement. Yeah. No, I mean, these are the same. I mean, we've seen history repeat itself with, with, you know, video games and, uh, you know, government <laughs> officials, like the whole, you know, ESRB before the ESRB yeah. came around, like there was a whole debacle of, of Mortal Kombat and stuff. But I think here it's been really interesting to see, obviously, like the the ruling came out and you had a bunch of responses. And, and I think the most interesting response I've seen, obviously, Sony has been super quiet. I don't know if they have a, hey, you know, this is good news for Call of Duty fans on PlayStation. I, I don't think they rubbed it in. I think they've been pretty silent. 
But in terms of the cloud gaming side of things, we've seen some of the smaller um, cloud provider, cloud gaming providers actually uh, come out with a statement who had signed a deal with Microsoft saying like, no, like this makes it harder for us to get these games because yeah. Activision Blizzard was never going to put the work in to give us exactly. access to these titles, yeah. you know, and uh, that's the whole point of cloud gaming is to, in my mind, have a bunch of services that offer you access to your games. Uh, and I think that's where NVIDIA's GeForce Now, which also has a deal with uh, Microsoft, works really well because you're accessing games that you've purchased on a singular platform and you choose to access them through the cloud with NVIDIA or mm -hmm. choose to access them with another provider. Might not even be Microsoft. So I, it's an interesting crossroads. Yeah, cloud gaming is supposed to be about access. And I think what they said was that basically those deals that were between like Microsoft and NVIDIA, they said they were too restrictive. Mm. And I think this is where like, I, I hate to be the corporate advocate versus the consumer advocate, because obviously making everything available everywhere is best for consumer because then you can make choices. People can have sales, you save money. Like obviously that is best for the consumer. But I think that like some of the comments in the CMA statement were very much about how the deals that Microsoft had made hadn't gone far enough to make things openly available. And they said they were still like behind a subscription or behind a payment. And I'm like, oh, you mean like people paying for goods and services? <laughs> like, do you want Microsoft to give the games away for free everywhere? Like, it seemed like a very odd statement. Because essentially what they were saying is like, oh, okay, well, yeah, they're making it available on NVIDIA, but you're going to have to pay for it. It's like, and? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I would normally do when I wanted to play a game is I would pay for it, you know, on my platform of choice. And my way of thinking is like they added NVIDIA to the place where I could play Activision Blizzard games that seems like a good thing for the consumer, right? Like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around it. So like I said, um, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard are working together to appeal the UK decision. Um, the deal for the acquisition apparently is not 100%, is not like dead in the water or anything. It's just that now it may take longer. So I guess they were hoping to kind of wrap things up at the beginning of July, as we had kind of assumed uh, based on, you know, statements that we'd had from Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, uh, we knew that kind of like end of June, beginning of July was when they were aiming to be finished with all of this. Now it looks like that might be pushed back. And I think the FTC decision isn't expected until August. So like we're, we might be, the deal's not dead, dead, but I have no idea what happens if an appeal from Microsoft Activision Blizzard fails. Because um, again, I don't fully understand how all this regulation works and I don't know what happens if every country but the US says, yeah, sure, everything's fine. That's good. UK crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm not really sure how all of that works, but um, the deal's not dead dead. Um, they're appealing in the UK and the US decision hasn't come down yet. And the EU decision is expected, I think, um, by the end of May. So um, I'm sure like this is still going to be a developing story. It doesn't mean the acquisition won't go through necessarily, but I'm not sure what happens if the appeal fails. Can they just can they just go ahead but not do business in the UK? Like, can they just pull their offices out of the UK? 
Well, here's the thing. Like, that's an interesting prospect because uh, obviously I don't think Microsoft or Activision Blizzard are going to cease business in the UK. But from what I've seen online, you know, chatter around this specific sticking point being in the UK is that you could to appease regulatory because to avoid fines, essentially, from from operating um, business when when they say you shouldn't uh, Mm -hmm. is they could have the UK arm of Microsoft just uh, not include like, for example, uh, Activision Blizzard games likely wouldn't be added to Game Pass uh, in the UK if the deal did not go through. Okay, so they can still acquire Activision Blizzard. It's just that it would impact the what the business looks like in the UK. I think so. I mean, honestly, it it comes down to is it worth the trouble? And if it's just the UK, which is a small part, like let's face it, it's a small part of the world. It's an important part of the world, but it's a smaller part. When when you have Mm -hmm. if you have the entire world approve it, except for just the United Kingdom. You might look at that and be like, well, I think it's worth us to just jump through a couple hoops in the UK until we can sort it out. Because the idea is they could continue to make their their argument for for having a proper acquisition, I assume. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, like, like I say, I know that they're appealing it. And if that's the case, if they can still acquire Activision Blizzard and basically... Like they, I don't know if they'd be able to reevaluate the price or if they would just shrug it off as a loss or or what. But anyways, if they are still able to acquire Activision Blizzard and then just modify their business activities wherever they need to, then I mean, that only would strengthen their case in the UK, I would think, for any sort of appeal. Because then you could be like, hey, here's all the stuff we're doing in the US, in the EU, in the whole rest of the world, like this is how we are actually on paper legally dealing with this company we own now. Mm. Like, you cool UK or nah? (laughs) Like, tell us when it's cool, when you're all right with us, you know, like distributing our products in the UK again. Like, (laughs) there was also, you know, an argument that it would be easier to deny it outright than to try to regulate it. Uh, from a government standpoint, which kind of fits with <laughs> how the UK has <laughs> approached government. But like, I think uh, there's a lot of moving parts. And I think also a lot of the folks who haven't released their final decision are kind of waiting for that first uh, denial to be like, okay, let's, let's see how, mm. how things work out. Cause you know, it's not a, it's not an easy yes or no. I, I will fully state this. Like, even though I, I do hope Microsoft's able to go forward with it. Cause I, I think, Activision Blizzard will be in better hands, but uh, and their properties for that for that uh, matter. But I think that you know I get it. They I'm glad that they're reviewing the purchase. I'm glad that they're having these conversations. And of course, there was going to be a denial somewhere down the road. And I think it just opens up for more for more conversation. I hope it is now we can focus on what is truly the sticking point of uh, cloud gaming and protecting that that industry from having. You know, the folks that own Windows, Azure, and now a $70 billion portfolio from from Activision Blizzard. Like, I get it. Like, let's look Mm -hmm. at that. Um, Now we can stop having the Call of Duty conversation, right? Yes, please. Yeah, perfect. So I'm really glad that that that's all done. (laughs) (laughs) At least from the UK perspective. And and hopefully, like you say, if if the UK has decided now that Call of Duty is a non-issue... I really hope that everybody else does too. Cause yeah, I'm so sick of talking about like 
Call of Duty and and what multi-platform versus one platform would mean because, yeah, like uh, at least that's the part that I think the UK regulators got right in that Microsoft would be insane not to offer it on all the platforms it's currently offered. Like it's such a huge game. Like why would you cut your revenue in half? Like it seems crazy. So um, at least I hope that part of the conversation is fucking done because I'm fucking done with that conversation about COD. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) But if you would like to continue the conversation, feel free to talk about COD. I just won't join in, but you can head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Discord if you want to talk to us or uh, other people in the community about anything we've talked about today. Again, that is bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us over on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at JossPlays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.